Welcome, everybody. I'm really, really glad you're here. I just can't help uh, but uh, ask you all to just give yourselves another hand of applause for being here. God bless you. So Life 101 is just that. It's examining sort of the first principles of life. What are we doing here? Why are we here? What's life all about? Is life all about something? Is there actually an answer to that question? Or is there no answer to that question? Is there a purpose in asking the question, even if there is no answer to the question? Or is asking a question that may not have a clear answer not even worth asking? That's what this is sort of all about. It's all about taking like a a pause in your day, a pause in your week, and just asking these questions in a safe space and being able to just be yourself um, and share your thoughts with other people who will probably share their thoughts with you. And I remember I grew up in Quebec um, in Montreal, and uh, I remember that uh, as I finished high school, I went to CEGEP, when I finished CEGEP, I went to university. When I finished university, I got my first job. When I finished my first job, I got my second job. And it was almost like I always wanted to just take a break. I almost always wanted to just stop and ask myself, like, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? But there's always this thing driving you that says, hey, if you stop, you may not get started again. If you stop, you may not finish the other things that you've started. Um, If you stop, you might find yourself behind other people who have. And at some point, you have to just kind of stop and ask these questions to know why you're running on this treadmill in the first place. And to ask the questions that are meaningful to, to you, like what adds value to your life? What steals value from your life? You know that. That show that was on Netflix, uh, uh, Marie, somebody from Japan who got my house totally in order somehow, you know, somehow my wife starts watching this show and all of a sudden, you know, everything was triple folded in my drawers and I open my drawers and they bring me joy. You know, and whoever thought your sock drawer could bring you joy, right? But here we are, you know, and, and you have to ask yourself what, you know, I, I mean, I kind of found it like funny, you know, like, like looking at pieces of clothing or, or things you've collected in life and asking yourself if they bring you joy or not. But guess what? Some things do and some things, some things don't. And the things that don't, what I've realized, they stand in the way between me and the things that do bring me joy, the things that do bring me value, the things that do make me a little bit more alive than I was before I met them. So we're kind of here to just examine those things. And maybe, maybe you'll walk out of this and say, it's good food, but that was it. Maybe you'll walk out of this and you'll kind of want to do a detox of the things that don't really bring you joy. And the answer to that question is not going to be some, like it's not a closed-ended question. It's certainly going to be, have as many answers as there are people in the room. Because each one of us comes to this and each one person comes sort of with their own life, with their own experience, with their own, their, their own trophies and their, and their own scars. And that's just fine. And we've all been on a bit of a, we've all been on a bit of a journey you know, and you can you can consider life to sort of be a bit of a journey that starts somewhere and 
end somewhere. And it begs the question, if it's a journey, where is it going? And what's the path that I'm traveling? And the other people along on your table are probably people who are traveling a path as well. And I guess the question is, what's your path? What's their path? And our paths happen to cross tonight. And we're all in this room and we've all enjoyed a meal together. You know, there's an ancient proverb that comes from I don't know where in the world that says you can't distrust someone with whom you break bread. You know, like bread is probably the only thing that at one point it was socially acceptable for you to touch it, but not put it in your mouth. People would take a loaf of bread. They would break a piece off and they would put it, the piece that they're not going to eat, back in the basket. Everything else, if there's a basket of muffins and you, you kind of pick each muffin up and try, try to decide which one you're going to have, you're, gonna eat, you're eating all of them, right? But somehow, somehow there's this concept that sharing a meal just makes, it, just makes it okay. And that's, that's really what we're going for here, is examining these kind of questions and making them okay. Speaking of journeys, Federico Fellini, uh, Uh, Italian filmmaker and arguably one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, says, men today seem to be in a rowing boat without oars, in an ocean without shores. Maybe another way of saying that is we're up a creek with no paddle. Maybe that is um, some people's perspective, and that's cool, and we can respect that. But um, I would rather say that we know where to row, and we found some oars, and we're making our way towards the shore of our dreams. And there's only one person that I know, and I certainly don't know everybody who's ever existed in history, but there's only one person that I know that doesn't only claim to know the way, but claims to actually be the way. Jesus is standing and talking with his, his friends, and Thomas asks him a question. He says, you know, but how are we going to find this way to the Father? And he looks at Thomas, and he answers him, and he says to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. And that may sound preposterous to you. I mean that there is a way, a single way, and even more so that one person would claim to know it, and even more so that that person would claim to be it. And what does that even mean? Those are all things that you may choose or may not choose to discuss at your, at your tables during the discussion, and that's totally, that's totally fine. How can somebody prove that? Well, the reality is, is that there's so many things that we can't actually prove. I was sitting uh, over coffee with uh, um, a friend of mine um, five years ago when we first started doing this. And we're sitting at Starbucks. This is my banana loaf little sleeve that they give you your banana loaf slice in. And he said this to me and I'm like, this is perfect. I really want to share this with you because I'm not an engineer and I don't know anything about flight. But he said to me that it would take 100 years to, cal- to fully calculate the fluid dynamics of airplane flight. Now, quick show of hands here. How many people in the room have ever been on a plane? Just a quick show of hands. Yeah, like almost everybody, if not everyone, right? And so knowing this, are you like, I don't see any flabbergasted faces. I don't see anybody who's like looking, reaching for their phone to like cancel their next trip. You know, I didn't know this, I'm not an engineer, but now I know this and guess what? I'm, you know, traveling over the holidays and I'm still really looking forward to it. So there's some things that we actually don't know fully. We don't actually know all of their ins and outs, but we seem to know enough. We know enough that allows us to kind of take the next 
step. The Orthodox Church loves pictures. They love color and they love, they love having, offering people an, like an experience. And um, we prefer the term icons rather than pictures because an icon is like a little thing on your desktop that when you click it, it leads you to so much more. It's like a microcosm. It's like a, a thing which opens the door to, to more, right? And so um, this is an icon with kind of Jesus in the middle and and, and they're, they're often not true to life. Like there's no person that, that's kind of growing out of a, a tree or a vine, right? And, and they're, intended, they're intended to give a message. Icons first kind of came around in Christianity at a time where people were illiterate. If you think about it, and it's very hard for us to imagine, but the printing press changed everything. Before the printing press, nobody could afford books, so nobody, a lot of people didn't bother to learn how to read and write because it wasn't going to be useful to them. But the printing press changed that. Before that, people learned from pictures, and pictures are a lot more interesting to look at when they're in color. And so here you go. And so this, this icon is kind of telling a story, a story that Jesus said. He said to his, his friends, he said to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. He said to them, I am the way and I'm showing you the way. And after I show you the way, you're going to show that way to others. And all I'm asking you to do, he says to them, is to witness just be honest and tell people what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you yourself have experienced. And so this icon is kind of showing that out, out, of, out of Jesus comes these emanations, these tendrils, and from each one of them comes someone else. And this is kind of like a, like a kind of a more, a clearer kind of image of it, you could say, right? Where Jesus had like, you know, 12 disciples and then each of them went to a different place. Peter went to Rome. James was stuck around in Jerusalem. John went to Ephesus and so on. And then, and, and Mark went to Alexandria in Egypt. And when he got there, his the first person that believed what he was saying, his name was Anianus. And then he left there and he left everything in this guy's hands named Anianus. And then that guy, well, he left everything in the hands of the next guy. And from person to person, from person to person, this way is handed down. The word tradition actually in Greek, I'm not like an expert in ancient Greek, but I kind of wish I was. Um, I have a friend who's an expert in classics and is paradosis. And it basically means from hand to hand. So something gets handed, kind of like hot potato, from one hand to another. And that's basically, basically what this is showing. And so we, like our church has a, like a, a hierarch, like a leader, right? And that leader um, resides in Egypt, which is neither here nor there. But before him was, he's the 118th in line, but before him was the 117th and the 116th and so on. And the first was Mark. And Mark got it straight from Jesus. So there's that historical link of handing on the way from one person to the next. To the next. And this is important. This is important because at the end of the day, each of us, <laughs> at the end of the day, each of us is kind of examining examining these questions, right? And it's one thing to examine these things, these questions as a silo alone, and it's another thing to examine these questions with others. 
And you can examine these questions with the people that are sitting around your table. You can also examine these questions with generations of people that have been handing something down from one generation to the next. And the real question that we're all asking and that we all ask every time something significant happens in our lives is why. It's never where or when or how or, or you know, the real question that most of how might get some, might get some, some airtime, right? But the real question we all ask is why. When it's wintry and it's slushy and it's this and it's that and you're late for a meeting and you're standing and you're waiting for the streetcar and some car splashes you up to your waist in cold slush, the question I ask is why? Why me? Why? Why today? Why on the most important day of my week? Why? Why now? Right? And, and none of us are actually expecting an answer to that question and things that are so simple as why, you know, traffic splashes us with slush. But each person, each one of us, oftentimes these questions are very real and meaningful to us. And so that's kind of, that's kind of why we're here. And it's not a question that's going to have an ironclad explanation as most things in life don't. But that doesn't stop us from doing things. Let me give you an example. So the, the lifetime risk of getting hit by a car as a pedestrian is 3 to 5% in North America, depending like urban, rural, et cetera, et cetera, right? This was part of my past life. I was kind of an expert in these things. Anyhow, knowing that, I highly doubt it that none of you are ever going to leave your house ever again as a pedestrian. I doubt it that you're never going to, you know, cross the street or why? Well, because you have significant certainty, if you allow me to call it reasonable certainty, that if you leave home, you'll make it back and you'll be okay. Well, where does that reasonable certainty come from? Well, it comes from a certain body of evidence that you've collected. Now, there's like really hard evidence and there's soft evidence, but it doesn't really matter. It's evidence to you. It's evidence to me. And I don't know the answer for sure, God forbid, that I will leave home and not come back in one piece, but I have reasonable certainty to think I'll be okay. And so I put my boots on, I put my coat on, and I head outside, right? And that's just kind of how this works. So we kind of collect, pardon me, we kind of collect pieces of evidence. In a court of law, that's the same thing, right? Evidence is brought forward to the judge and jury. They collect all the evidence. They examine all of the evidence. And that's why everybody's participation is so awesome in these discussions because Everything that you bring to the table is evidence and is worthy of consideration. And that evidence is all examined until there's no ev more evidence to be brought. And then the judge and jury adjourn. They go and they figure out what do they think makes the most sense. Did he do it or did he not do it? What makes the most sense? But shy of being an eyewitness that saw it happen, otherwise you're bound to this concept of reasonable certainty. And that's what we all do, and that's how we make all our decisions. And somehow, certain decisions, we don't have any discomfort with the fact that we don't actually know. We're kind of okay with the fact that we don't actually know because we've collected enough evidence. So the question before us tonight is, is it possible to have enough evidence? But a question that kind of even precedes that question is this question of choice. You and I have a choice. We have a choice to believe or not to believe. We have a choice to ask these questions or not even to ask these questions. Or to say, I don't even know if I want to ask a question that I might not really find an answer to. And I don't want to ask a question that 
may just lead me to further questions, which will only lead me to doubt. Now, the kicker is this. Everybody believes something. Theists believe that God exists. Atheists believe that God does not exist. Agnostics believe that we're wasting our time asking the question. But everybody believes something. So the question is, what do you believe and why? And that's what the discussions are for. And the moment that you start to believe something that you are not an eyewitness of, you become subject to doubt. And this belief that you have becomes like this little sapling that gets pushed to and fro by the winds of doubt. And a lot of people find that very distressing. And I remember that I did once as well. But I've come to a place where I've realized that doubt only forces me to examine the things that I believe more carefully and find out whether they're true or not. So truth really has no fear from doubt because truth is forced to be examined more carefully, appreciated more, and in the end, you realize that, hey, this actually makes sense if it's true. But that's not even the question, really. The question before us really is, are you willing? Are you willing to believe that there's something out there that actually makes sense? Are you willing to believe that there's actually a round peg out there for the round hole? That the ideas that I have of why things are and why they aren't don't always have to make sense, but. They don't always have to make sense only to a certain point and then fall apart. They can just make sense. They can just be whole. They can just be fitting and perfect like a round peg in a round hole. David, the second king of Israel, says, My soul is thirsty for God, for the living God. Where, where can I go to meet with God? Augustine, one of the greatest Western thinkers of antiquity, says, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. Enjoy your discussions. <laughs>